Adam and Eve, and then, and then we move into the fall, and then we see that the world is, is wrought with just brokenness, and things really start to go awry, if you will, as we see the first murder and then the Tower of Battle. And from here on out, the theme is, is this back and forth of blessing and God moving in to restore this blessing with his people. And then we move into Genesis chapter 11, and we see God move in in a different way, where we really see God's big and grand and beautiful rescue operation begin to unfold with this nomad, if you will, with this wanderer by the name of Abram. And God moves in here in this moment to Abram, and he calls him. He calls him to move into a place and into a land that is not his own. And then he makes this declaration and promise to Abram, who, by the way, is old in age, and who, by the way, his wife is also old in age and also barren. And in Genesis chapter 12, God makes this promise to him. He says in command, he says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So here in just these first three verses alone, we see that blessing is an incredible thing, an incredible theme. As we said earlier from Genesis chapter 1 and really throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there is a huge theme of blessing, of the broken bless, or the, the blessing being broken with Adam and Eve, and then God working and moving and pursuing in by grace and promises, seeking to restore that blessing with his people. And he declares to Abram, Not only should he leave his country and go into a land that was not his own, but now he, through his family, would be a blessing to all of the world. And through his family, it would become a great nation, and that nation would also be a blessing to the entire world. And so now it's up to Abram to be obedient. Would he see this picture of what God is doing and respond in obedience and go into this new land. And nonetheless, one of the themes that we see with Abram as a man of blessing, even in times of doubt, he continues to follow in obedience. But as the story goes, there's a problem. His wife, Sarai, is barren. So how in the world would his family, they have no children, so how in the world would his family be a blessing to the nations? But nonetheless, Abram and his wife Sarai, they follow in obedience even through trials, even through deceptions, even through wandering and famine. They continue to follow God in obedience. And then when we arrive to chapter 15, we see, God, we see Abram reach out to God in a moment of doubt. He comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, my wife is now getting very old. So how is this going to happen? Perhaps we should consider someone else in our household to make this blessing happen. And God responds and says to Abram, this man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
And then he took him outside in this incredible moment. He takes Abram outside and he says, Abram, look up at the stars in the sky. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to a place without city lights in the desert or in the mountains and looked up in the sky. And just imagine all of the stars up there. And God takes him, he says, Abram, look into the sky and, and count the stars if you can. And if you count them, he says, so shall be your offspring. That, as numerous as the stars in the sky, is going to be your offspring. And it says then that Abraham believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And then we get into this really weird part. This really weird thing happens where if we did something like this today, it would make the news. Abram and God then participate in this crazy covenant ceremony where God and Abram, they take this animal and they cut it in half. And what they were to do, see, now for us that would be strange, but in the ancient world, this would have been a normal practice. If two people were to make a covenant together, they would cut an animal in half and they would walk through the animal hand in hand as if to say, if I break this covenant, if I do not fulfill the promises of this covenant, may I die a horrible death like these animals. May I die a grotesque death like these animals. So it takes like pinky swearing to a whole new level. So they cut the animals in half, and they're to go through this covenant ceremony. But Abram then falls into a deep sleep. And as he is sleeping, the Lord, through a lamp, passes through these animals, which is a profound thing that is happening here, because now both parties are not passing through the animal. Both parties are not saying, if I do not fulfill the demands of this covenant, may I die a horrible death like these animals. Now it is just the Lord passing through this animal. And so now we begin to get an idea of just how deathly serious God is about restoration. We see just how deathly serious God is about keeping his covenant. It's as though God solemnly swears death upon himself in order to restore blessing in all of the world. And so this is a covenant then that Abram and God make, a covenant that cannot be broken, a promise where God promises Abraham that he and his people and his offspring, his children's 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 are going to be a blessing to all of the world and thus become a great nation. And finally, after years of waiting and wandering of this back and forth trust and even significant moments of doubt that we won't get into today, finally in Genesis chapter 17, we see this promise fulfilled. And eventually they partake in another covenant ceremony through the sign of circumcision, which was an external sign of being a part of this covenant community. So now from here on out, anyone part of ethnic Israel, after eight days of just being here on earth, they would participate in this circumcision community just as an external sign of being in this covenant community. 
And Abram eventually has a children. And eventually God continues to move in and this, this nation is cultivated. This people is cultivated. And we are going to continue to look at several other of the covenants to help us make sense of what God is doing even here in the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is declaring in the Sermon on the Mount and what makes it so incredibly significant. But as the story goes throughout the rest of the, the Old Testament, God continues to move in and the people of God... Time and time again, fall away, reject, turn away, at times even forget the demands of what it means to be this covenant people. But all of this, of this grand rescue operation that God is doing, is that he was to make a people, and we're going to look at more of this tonight with Moses, is he was making a people that would be a light to the nations, a people that would be a blessing, a covenant community where God was declaring, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when you are my people and when you live within the demands of my covenant and when you live within the demands of my covenant and be obedient, the world will peer in and they will see what God looks like. The world would peer in and they would see the people of Israel. They would see this covenant community and they would see what this royal priesthood is. They would see what this holy nations are. They would see what Yahweh looks like. But as the story goes, they floundered and they struggled and they rejected. And God, though, kept his promise. God continued to pursue. God continued to move in. And by the time we reach the Gospel of Matthew, we see this people of God that are still a people, that are still a holy nation, that are still a royal priesthood, now much more broken up and oppressed and in many ways experiencing times of exile, God moves in in a whole and new way. And we begin to get an idea just how deathly serious God is about keeping his promises. We see just how deathly serious God is about moving in. And we see that God is deathly serious about redemption, renewal, and restoration. In the middle of a world that is full of chaos, in the middle of a world that is full of oppression and darkness and evil and sin and death and a brokenness, in brokenness comes a king born in the margins in a manger, fully human and fully divine, that would be called the new Israel, or the second Adam, or the true king, the one who was fully divine and also fully human, the prophet, priest, and the fulfillment of all of Israel's history, which we are going to talk a lot about in the next couple of days. And we see this king, this king of kings and this prince of peace, meet his death on a cross. And there in his death is the end of a present evil age. And this king is then raised to new life. And now the floodgates are open where it is no longer those who are part of ethnic Israel that are 
recipients of this blessing. But now in Christ, the floodgates have been opened and it is no longer ethnic Israel, but it is Jew, Greek, Gentile, male, female, slave, and free. All who are in Christ are a part of this new creation, this new people of God, this holy nation, and this royal priesthood that God is creating and that God is establishing, that now all who are in Christ, the world would peer in and get a glimpse of what God looks like. That the world would peer in and get a glimpse of this royal priesthood and this holy nation. It is exactly as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone and the new is here. We, the people of God, the church, the bride of Christ, all who are in Christ are this new creation. That is to be a blessing to the world. We now are included in this grand rescue operation. It says, Peter says, he says, but you are a chosen people. He's talking to you now, the church, those who are in Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is as Jesus declares in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the recipients of this blessing. You are the stars in the sky. That now the bride of Christ, the people of God who are in Christ, are now this royal priesthood, this holy nation. And now by living out this this sermon on the mount, if you will, this teaching that Jesus declares on how the bride of Christ and the people of God are to live in him, are the light, a blessing to the nations. That when the world then, in a world gone incredibly awry, In a world full of darkness today, in a world full of mockery and oppression and manipulation, the people of God in Christ then, this covenant community that was established beginning with Abram, this covenant community then is to be a countercultural community, a unique community, a different community, so different that the world stops in their tracks and when they peer in, they are in awe and wonder of how the community is living. It's like this. When I was a youth pastor in Owego, New York, we were there in the beautiful foothills just outside of the Catskill Mountains. And for a Midwestern girl, girl or for a flatlander, It was incredible for me to take evening walks there through the foothills. And we lived in a little bit of a rural area there in Owego, New York. And one evening, I went outside for a walk. And as I was walking there through the foothills, I passed up this stone cottage. And it was evening and dusk, and the skies were purple and orange and full of different colors as the sun was setting. And it was just a fall crisp evening. And there in the chimney, the smoke was just billowing up into the sky. And since it was evening, the family there had their lights on in their home. 
And how many of you are familiar with Thomas Kincaid paintings? Where the light in the house just glows out, just this beautiful warmth. That night as I walked by the house, it looked something like a Thomas Kincaid painting. And when I walked by, I heard a commotion coming from the home. I heard clinging of dishes and people laughing, laughing and people sharing together. And, and as I walked by, I thought, I shouldn't be that weirdo on the street that looks into the windows. But something was drawing me. And as I walked by, I, I stopped for a moment and I just glanced in because I wanted to see what was going on there in that house. And when I looked in, I saw this large family at this long table there breaking bread together. They were laughing. And there was such a joy there in that space. You could tell that they were sharing about stories from the day and they were just so happy to be together as they were passing, the, as they were passing their food around the table and breaking bread. And as I looked in, I was a newly married woman, not yet having kids. As I looked in and I saw them sharing their day together, I thought, someday I want to be a part of a family like that. Because I was in awe of the love and the joy and the warmth and the light that was beaming out of that home. And in the same way, we in this covenant community that began with Abram, that rolled throughout God, expanding the covenants in the Old Testament, and then fulfilling all of the promises in Christ, we now who are in Christ are in that covenant community, that when other people in this world walk by and they see the people of God doing life together, they should be stopped in their tracks, peer within the windows, and say, that is something I want to know. If that's what Jesus looks like, then I want to know Jesus. If that's what it means to be part of the people of God, then I want that. If that is the light of the world, then I want more of that. Because all of us, brothers and sisters, are heirs of this covenant. We are the great nation, the people of God, the bride of Christ, the light to the nations. We are children of Abraham. And so then, it isn't just about entrance, is it? It's not just about getting in. Somehow, somewhere along the way, we have made this Christian faith about getting in, about entrance, about a ticket to heaven. But when we begin to roll back and we see the movement of God throughout Scripture, we see that we are actually a part of something bigger, that it's not just about getting in, but that you and I, the people of God, are participating in this rescue operation and that we are a light to the world and we are a light to the nations. That all who are in Christ then are now mediators of God's goodness. We are mediators of God's light. We are mediators of God's holiness. We are mediators of God's love. So then, students, how can we be a mediator of God's goodness, love, and blessing? Perhaps it's beginning by following him deeper or sharing good news to someone or simply being a blessing to a neighbor 
or to create unity where there is disunity or to be a bringer of reconciliation where there is division or to bring holiness or healing where there is brokenness because every day before us is opportunities to be participants, to join God on mission in this earth and to be participants in God's blessing to the nations. I read about a story that happened back in 1975 that a Harvard philosopher by the name of Jacob Needleman wrote about. He went to go watch the Apollo 17 launch. And he said that as he went out there to the lawn, as a bunch of cynical and almost kind of angry reporters were sitting there waiting for this grand, big, Apollo 17 that was about to launch. He said he sat there on the lawn and everyone began with a real cynical posture. He said as it was time for the Apollo 17 to take off, he said it began with just this small flame beneath it that eventually turned into this big, bright orange flame. And he said it was silent though because it took a while for the sound to catch up to everyone that was watching. And as Apollo 17 began to lift up there into the sky, he said all of a sudden it went from silence to this power running through them, this whoosh and this sweeping noise. And he said you could almost hear everyone's jaws hit the ground as eventually they watched this Apollo 17 move up into the sky and move from a blue light and then into a tiny star. He said, suddenly you realize that this just wasn't the Apollo 17 that they were watching turn into a star. But there were actually people in that. And he said, as the reporters that began real cynical stood there and together they watched it, he said, an awe and a wonder filled the place. No longer were people cynical, but instead they were in awe and wonder. And when it was all over with, he said, when they caught up, people were helping one another up. He saw a hospitality. He saw a kindness amongst the people. They were attentive to one another. People were actually looking at one another in the eyes. They were listening to one another. And they were opening doors for each other. And he said that the awe and wonder of the blessing, or the awe and wonder of the Apollo 17 there in that day, caused people to take on the posture of kindness. When we reflect on the story of God, the God of promises, God the Father who keeps his covenant, God the Son who lays down his life, and God the Spirit who empowers us to live out this blessing, we should be struck with awe and wonder. That we aren't just participants in good deeds in this world, but by being salt and light, we are participants in God's redemptive work in the world. And that alone, through the power of the Holy Spirit, should transform us to be different, to be unique, and to be a light to the nations. How will you be a blessing today? How will you be salt and light today? Let us pray. Lord, I am in awe 
that we actually get to join you in this good work. That not only have the floodgates been open, and that you are an inclusive God that invites all who are thirsty to come, but you also form us and shape us to participate in your work in this world to be a blessing, to be a conduit of life, of love, and holiness. So, Lord, I pray that all of us would be awestruck. I pray that all of us would catch a glimpse of the wonder of your work. And that we, the people of God, even locally here in Boston, in Quincy, would be such a unique and countercultural community that when the world peers into this community here at ENC, that they would see light, salt, love, holiness, and blessing. We love you so much, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.